Hey, I want to just welcome every person who's tuning in online, who is connecting with us. You know, I've got a confession to make about this passage. And I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way before. Um, but I am often confused by things that Jesus said and did. Now, I, I'll go ahead and admit it, and maybe it'll free you up, because, yes, I'm the pastor, and I'm not supposed to be confused. I get it. I get it. But if I could just own and say, this is one of those moments where I get really confused. When it comes to faith, I, I can sometimes get really confused. I think faith is one of those um, subjects that, on the surface, it can seem so simple, but when you peel back the layers, it's actually far more complicated than you could ever imagine. And I don't know if you ever get confused. Maybe not. Maybe you should be up preaching this. But, but I get confused. And I found that one of the challenges for all of us in this journey of life, this journey of faith, is, is trying to make sense of what doesn't make sense. You, you know, I feel like we're all kind of on a journey of faith. Uh, some of you would say, I'm just getting started. There's others of you that would maybe be watching this online. Maybe someone's shared this video with you, or maybe you're in the room and you say, I don't know that I believe in God. There was once a time where I was kind of, okay, convinced, and then I just went through some things, and so I kind of, I don't know that I believe that God exists. That could be you. There could be others of you that there's not a doubt in your mind. What I found is that we're all kind of on a journey when it comes to faith. And I don't know your story, and your story is different than my story, but we're all kind of taking steps on this journey. Now, maybe you had a childhood like I did. I had this childhood where I grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. All right, all right, a decent number of you. So, so you remember going to church and Sunday school and learning all the epic stories of faith. And I, I remember learning about how, how God can shut the mouths of lions, which is good to know if I ever get stuck in a pit with lions, I guess. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I'm glad to know God can do that one. I, I learned that God can part rivers and seas so I can walk through on dry ground, you know? I've, I've, every once in a while I've been to the lake, I've been to the ocean, it's never happened for me, but that's okay, that's okay, I know God can do it. I remember learning all of these amazing, impossible things that God has done, documented, recorded, written down, take it to the bank. I remember learning all of these things and kind of being told, and pray because God answers prayers. But then I also know that as I got a little bit older, I started to pray I had some serious prayer requests. And then they didn't get answered. And God didn't do it. And I started to struggle in my faith. You ever been there? I feel like all of us at some point probably have gotten to a place where I, I like to say where you can have a crisis of faith. Do you, do you know what I mean by a crisis of faith? Like at one moment I believed and then something happened and now I'm not so sure that's a crisis of your faith. Some of you, I'm just gonna say it boldly, are probably in that place right now no one knows. You show up at church, and you don't want to let your spouse or your mom or dad or your kids know that you are really struggling to believe in God because you, you've prayed for some things, and they haven't happened. And a lot of times we end up in this place where we go, okay, well, maybe God, I don't know if you're real. And so now you're in one of these kind of places where it's like, okay, God, you better prove it, but right now I'm kind of leaning on the other direction that maybe you're not real. Or you start to think, well, okay, God, if you're real, then maybe you just don't care about me. Or 
Sometimes you get to a place where you think, and you read a passage like this, and you think, oh, the problem must be me. You see, I find faith quite confusing, to be honest. And I think about this story, and I think about this dad. Now, here's a dad who has a child who is from childhood. By the way, this particular story you can find in three out of the four Gospels. It's that significant of a miracle. And what we learn from the whole entire context is that from childhood, from the time maybe he, maybe they realized he's born, and then maybe all of a sudden the first year, two years, three years, maybe he's a toddler, he has a seizure. And they're like, what's this, what's this? And try to take him to the doctor, and doctors can't figure it out, and he has more seizures. And his entire childhood growing up, he would just have these seizures that would take over his body at random times and would convulse him so badly, would throw him on the ground, throw him sometimes near a fire or in water. And, and so this has been an affliction. This has been a pain that this father has dealt with. Now, I just want to say I'm so grateful to have two daughters that haven't had medical issues like that. But I also know that there are some people right now in this room, some people who are watching me, that your story maybe does feel like that. Where you have had to deal with family members or a child that has dealt with something like this. And he, here's what I know is that this story, though I have never dealt with this specifically, it does apply to all of us. In fact, I would say what we could do in this moment is because you ever notice in the stories like this where we never learn the name of the father or the son? A lot of times just the condition. I believe that that's intentional. It's so that we can find our place in the story because God cares about your situation. And so what I'm saying is you could just remove the seizures and insert your own painful situation. I don't know what your painful situation, but I know this. You live life long enough, you'll have plenty of them. I don't know what you've been wrestling with God about over this past year and maybe even in these 21 days. I don't know what's been plaguing your soul, but I know you could insert your, maybe it's your marriage. It's like, I can't figure out how to, God, I don't know how, but if something doesn't change, it's not gonna make it this year. Insert your situation, what is it? It could be your physical health. It could be a battle with cancer. You've been fighting it, but man, I'll tell you what, nothing seems to be working and the medication's not working. I don't know what it is. It could be your battle with mental health. Maybe this year just threw you in the worst possible mental health. Maybe anxiety has taken back root in your life. I don't know, maybe it's a chronic condition. Maybe you'd insert your addiction that you keep trying to, I'm just, I'm not gonna go back, but I keep going back. I don't know what your painful situation is, but I believe you could insert it in this moment because we all do. And one of the things about faith is that we wanna believe that God can do something about my situation. And here's what I've discovered about our pain, just like this father, is that our pain is what often drives us to God. You know that, right? Some of you came to church because of your pain. Some of you reached out for help because of your pain. Some of you didn't believe in God, but you started praying because of your pain. Here's what I found. Your pain will drive you to find God. It's actually just often your disappointment that causes many to walk away from him. I want God to heal this. 
Here's a dad who goes looking for Jesus. He heard, here's all the stories about Jesus. There's so many things Jesus had done just before this and how in the town of Nain, how there was a dead boy and there's a funeral procession and Jesus stopped it and he raised the dead boy to life and how Jesus healed a man with leprosy and how Jesus had healed blind eyes and all these things. And so he hears all these stories and he hears that Jesus is nearby and he thinks, I'm gonna take my son and find Jesus. As he goes looking for Jesus, I'll fill in the context because you get this from the other passages, he's not there. In fact, he comes up on his disciples. Jesus was actually gone in this moment when the Father came looking for him and his disciples. Jesus was gone, and he was up on a mountain. You can go read this yourself. He was up on a mountain with three of his favorites. Jesus had favorites, Peter, James, and John. And he takes his closest friends, and he takes them up on a mountain, and there he's transfigured, and they have this incredible experience, and they hear the voice of God audibly. I mean, it's amazing, right? While the nine of the 12 are down, left on their own. So the father can't find Jesus, but he finds the next best thing, his disciples. And he comes to his disciples, and he says, hey, my son, I'm desperate. I've tried every single thing possible. I've tried every form of human intervention, and it hasn't worked. You know what I found when we go to that process? Most of us then start to think, I need divine intervention. And so he goes, I, I need help. And, and here's what's interesting. He brings him to the disciples, and the disciples try to deal with the son, and they can't. Imagine them. They're going, okay, I see. I remember how he did it that one time, and she, I was like, I'm going to try this. And so, okay, all right, here we go. And he just, I just imagine what this looked like. And, it, and be gone. Oh, no, that didn't work. Okay, you try, Matthew. I don't know. You know, it's just, and it doesn't work. Now, this is the scene as Jesus walks into it. And all of a sudden, a crowd had gathered. I can imagine there's this crowd. Imagine they're trying to do some kind of exorcism, whatever that looks like, out in day, daylight. And all of a sudden, people from everywhere are like, oh my gosh, I gotta see this. You know, you're like, I gotta see. People are crowding around. It says One of the other accounts says, teachers of the law came and started arguing with them. You can't do that. What are you doing? You're, no, 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 no. And this big kind of like crowd assembled. Jesus just comes walking. Hey, what's up, man? It was fun up on the mountain, wasn't it, Peter? Yeah, you know. And he comes walking in the moment, and all of a sudden, it's like this is crazy crowd. And he's like, what's going on? And the father comes up to Jesus, and he says, whoa, whoa, okay, I found you. So, I brought my son to you to heal, and you went around. So I went to your next best, you know, and I asked them, and they couldn't do anything about it. Now, what's interesting to me is Jesus' response. And honestly, I, I kind of get a little discouraged when I read it. Jesus is annoyed. Do you know Jesus could get annoyed like this? I think we have this picture of Jesus that he's just the nicest, most chill dude ever to walk the earth, never says a mean thing to anybody. Jesus was so annoyed in this moment. Here's what he said. He looked at the crowd. He said, you unbelieving or faithless, perverse generation. Now, in our culture and context, perverse is always sexual. That wasn't the intention. He's saying, you twisted, you faithless, you unbelieving people. How long am I going to put up with you? Now, I don't know who he was talking to. You could say, was he talking to the dad? Maybe. Probably, I don't know, maybe not. Was he, maybe he was talking to the teachers of the law? I mean, I could see that. Or maybe he was talking to the disciples. All I know is this, Jesus walked into a situation where he sensed a lack of faith. That's what I know. And, and Jesus had such compassion on the father, even in the midst of his lack of faith, and he heals the son and gives him back restored to his father. 
That's awesome. That's great. But what I want to look at today is really the latter part. I want to look at, and I want to read for you again, verse 19, because it's what happened behind closed doors that I actually find speaks to me the most. Look, look at verse 19 with me again, if you would. Verse 19, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? Now, this is a question that Christ followers have been asking for centuries. Here's what they were asking. Why is it when we prayed, nothing happened? Have you ever prayed and nothing happened? Hello? Why is it that when I pray, nothing happens? There's some of you that you like, that is my question for God today. Why is it when I believe, and I truly believe, and I pray as hard as I possibly can, and nothing seems to happen? That's what they asked. Why is it when we did it, nothing happened, but then you, and then, and then it does? Now, to understand their confusion, you have to understand something that happened before this moment. Now, I, I need to show you something. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to skip back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 10. But there is a moment before this. This is what adds to the confusion. This is what adds to my confusion. There was a moment before this that is so important. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them what? Everybody say that word out loud. Gave them? Come on, say it like you have it. And gave them? Authority. So Jesus brought not three, but 12 and gave them authority to do what? To drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. So Matthew tells us about a moment that happened before this. When Jesus gathered his 12 trainees, right? And says, I'm giving you my authority. Now here's what I want you to do. I'm going to send you out. And if you read in Matthew chapter 10, what you discover is that he sends them out in pairs and they go into towns and he says, I want you to preach the good news and I want you to heal every sickness and cast out every impure spirit. And guess what they did? They went into towns and they would lay hands on people and, oh, and they could see and they lay hands on. And it was the most incredible thing. In fact, they came back to Jesus. And they're like, you're not going to believe this, Jesus. He was like, yeah, I am. No, 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 no. Like, oh my gosh. I did this, and I, there was this crazy, and I, I prayed this, and they, oh, my gosh. And you're like, I know, I know, I sent you with that authority. Now, fast forward to this moment. His father brings a son who's afflicted with a disease, a sickness, or an impure spirit, one of those three, surely. Brings him to the disciples. They were all part of that. And they prayed, and nothing happened have you ever prayed and nothing happened see i can identify with them i really can i can identify with them in this moment because and once once then i I've, I've had moments and i've i've seen god do miracles just real quick show of hands and this is just honest be honest how many feel like you have seen God do a miracle some way, somehow, or someone near you? Raise your hand. 
It's a lot of people. A lot of you to have. Can I just tell you, I've seen, I've seen God do miracles in our church. I've seen God heal people, people I prayed for. That doesn't happen all the time. But I've seen people I prayed for that were having chest pain, were about to go to the ER, that boom, God healed them in an instant and it was gone. I have prayed for people who had infertility for seven years and tried everything you could ever imagine, and within a month, they were able to have children. I have seen God do miracles. Have you? I'll tell you one that was really cool. I, I love this share. This was not me, but it was my daughter. My daughter, Lauren, this was several years ago. She, probably 15, 16, I don't know how old, but she went on a mission trip over to Russia. And she's over in, in, on this mission trip, and one evening they were supposed to go to this church, this, and they were supposed to minister and pray for people over in Russia. And so she's there, and she's the only like teenager from America. And uh, she's in this room, and there was kind of a moment where they were kind of praying for people, and, you know, all the rest of the, the group that was there, they're all, you know, everybody wants them because they're adults, you know, mature, and they, they surely, you know, would have a gift or something. And so she kind of said, she was like, oh, I was just sitting in the back, and I just kind of felt like, why am I here? That's such a waste. I don't, God, why, why am I here? And then she saw somebody sitting in a chair in the back of the room. And she just felt prompted. She was like, ah. Oh, I'll go pray for this guy. Don't know him. Don't know anything about him. Just a Russian guy that's sitting in the back of the room. So she goes over and she lays her hand on him and she just begins to pray for him. Prays as she felt like God led her to pray for him. Finished praying. I guess that was good. Good evening. Good night. It's a great night in church, you know. And uh, didn't think anything about it. Went about their day. A few days later, that following Sunday, they went to church there, back to that church. In comes walking in this guy that she had prayed for. Come to find out that he couldn't normally walk into the church but had to have people carry him into his seat because seven years before he had a stroke where half of his body was paralyzed and he couldn't even walk. But guess what? That Sunday he came walking into the church because God healed him instantly after she prayed for him in that one moment. You want to talk about something to build your faith? Don't tell me God doesn't do miracles. I know God does miracles, and I believe that God can do miracles through you. I think about things that Jesus said. He said, greater works will you do than I'm doing. He said, where two or three of you gather together and agree in something in my name, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. I think about the things that we know to be true, and we've seen them in our lives. But can I also tell you that I've prayed for a lot of situations God didn't answer. Can I be real today? Is that right if I'm real? Because I, I've, also, I've also seen the other side where we've prayed desperately for people in our church for God to heal. I, I think about Janice, your, your husband, Israel, that we prayed for, even in the hospital. God didn't heal him. He's not here. I, I could probably go through and, and name off 10 stories like that of people that we prayed for, but God didn't. What I'm trying to say is that when it comes to faith, I have this real tension. And I think I feel like the disciples that asked this question, why didn't it work? You told me that it would, and it didn't. And the reason why 
I can feel the tension in the room right now is because a lot of you are living in that same tension. Why? And Jesus said something in verse 20. Let me read it to you because here's his answer. In verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith, Truly, I tell you that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Yeah, I know all that, but oh, so the problem was me. See, this is, can I just be honest with you? This is the kind of passage that confuses your pastor. This is the kind of passage where, where I struggle because of, my history in church, because I've heard these beautiful Christian cliches all my life. All it takes is a mustard seed. If you got faith the size of a mustard, do you know how big a mustard seed is? It's itty, itty, bitty. You really don't get much smaller than a mustard seed. Are you telling me that I don't even have that kind of faith, God? But I believe in you. See, this is the tension that I wrestle with. And, and I look at the situation, and Jesus said, if you have just a little bit of faith, oh, you can just speak to a mountain, and it'll be moved. Can I also tell you something else that I tried the, growing up in the church? I've tried moving a mountain before. Have any of you ever tried moving a mountain before? I remember times when we would drive back to visit my grandparents in Virginia, and we'd drive through the mountains, and that verse would come to my head. And I can't tell you, but uh, there's been more than one time where I tried so hard. I'm like, oh. Okay, here we go, here we go. I believe, I believe, I believe. Move! Can I tell you, not a mountain has moved a millimeter. I don't know in the course of human history that a, a human has ever moved a mountain that God put there. Why would he say it? Could it be that Jesus wasn't talking literally? I'm just throwing this out. Could it be that he was giving an example? This is metaphorical. This is allegorical. This was, and matter of fact, I learned something. It could be that as Jesus said this to the people in his day, that they actually thought about something they had seen. See, I didn't know this until I went to Israel. A couple years ago, I got to go to Israel. By the way, that's a trip when we get on the other side of coronavirus and all this stuff. I'd love to one day be able to take a tour of people from our church. And, and so I went there a couple years ago, and this one particular day, we were getting up in the morning, and we were driving to Bethlehem. And so we got on this tour bus, and we're on there, and the tour guide would often just tell us unique things about the culture and history and the Bible. And, and there's a group of pastors, and we're, we're on this tour bus, and he as we're driving toward Bethlehem, he said, look out your left window. I said, all right. He says, do you see anything weird with the mountain range in the distance? Well, I don't know. It looks like mountains. He said, no, no, no. I want you to look at that particular one, and he pointed to one. He said, do you see anything weird about it? See, all, all the mountains had this, you know, go up, and they got a point, and they come back down. That's how most of the mountains look, right? And, and so he's looking. Then there was this one mountain that looked weird. And he said to us, you know that passage where Jesus said, you can say move from here to there and nothing will be impossible for you? 
He said most people believed, even in that culture, that Jesus was referencing something that had actually happened. So there's this weird mountain that looks like it's cut off at the top. Just weird. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't match. And what most of them knew in this time was something that had been built over 40, 50, 60, 70 years called the Herodian. You can look this up. You you ever heard of King Herod? He was the king that was put in charge of all of Judea. Well, when Herod the Great decided he was going to make residence there, he wanted to build himself this impenetrable fortress. And he thought, what better place to build it than on top of a mountain? And so starting about 40 years or so, maybe less than that, before Jesus even arrived, he hired, really kind of conscripted to slave labor, for decades, these slaves to literally move part of the mountain. In fact, I brought a picture. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen. I want you guys to see it. That's what the top of the mountain looks like. That's not normal. The mountain normally goes up into a peak and comes back down. But Herod thought of something that everybody else would have said was impossible, and he sent labor, labor, slave labor, to cut the stone off the top of the mountain and move it from there to another place. Now, it could be that when Jesus makes this reference, because I know all of us have tried to pray and move mountains, it could be Jesus is not talking about a literal mountain with the exception that he would bring to their minds this moment where Herod, who's not even a believer in God, who can use his own ingenuity and his own force and his own authority to move part of a physical mountain that maybe what he was trying to say is that you with just a mustard seed size of faith connected with the power of an all-powerful God can move a mountain and nothing could be impossible for you. If Harry can do it, don't you think your God can? Don't you think God can? See, I think what Jesus was doing in a loving but direct way was he was trying to lift their faith higher. He was taking a moment where he walked in and he sensed there's a lack of faith. Whatever reason, the disciples thought, we can't deal with this situation. And so Jesus steps into it and he says, guys, what happened to you? Do I need to remind you what a godless king could do? And you're going to sit here and tell me? that you don't have the faith to believe in the king of kings to move any situation? See, see this, this encourages me and it frustrates me at the same time because I don't know what to make of it. And I find sometimes that we can get lost in this idea of faith. Can I give you just two thoughts today? I wanted to give you some handles because I know that we're all in the season where we're praying big prayers. And I want to pray big prayers. But I want to understand what faith is. And so if I could just give you two thoughts, I want to encourage you to write these down. I want you to wrestle with these, especially if you're that person that's going, I'm not sure what I believe. The first one is this. Faith is not a force. Let me say it again, faith is not a force. In fact, I would love for everybody just to say it out loud with me right through your mask. Faith is not a force. It is not some Jedi mind trick 
You aren't Luke Skywalker. I think sometimes, let's be honest, that we think of faith like a force to be mastered. Oh, the reason why I couldn't move that was because I haven't mastered faith yet. And so we picture ourselves, we're praying for things like Luke Skywalker's like, and then all of a sudden the lightsaber comes to your hand. See, Luke Skywalker can move things and he used the force, so that must be what faith is. And if I could just, maybe if I just, if I have enough of it and I know how to use it, can I just tell you something? Faith is not some mystical force that you can use to manipulate God to get what you want. Hear me today. Faith is not a force. The only force there is in this world that matters is the Spirit of God. Faith is not a force to manipulate God. God is not some genie, right? Genie, I'm going to rub the lamp, and out comes God, and God says, what are your three wishes? Okay, I want these. I'm going to be careful when I ask them these three wishes. That is not faith. And I say this, and I feel like it's important for us to get this, because if you're around Christian circles long enough, you'll run into some movements, some faith movements, that I believe have kind of taken an extreme view of faith that I believe is based on some errant theology that basically does call faith a force and basically says that if you can open your mouth and you will declare it, that you can have it no matter what it is, and if you don't get it, it's because you didn't believe. Unfortunately... Far too often with these faith movements tend to be the same kind of preachers that you would put in this category as prosperity gospel preachers. God wants you to be rich. If you have enough faith, you believe for it, you'll be rich. I've spent a lot of time praying for a new Benz. Oh, dear Lord. I walk outside, it's always a Kia. There, there was this uh, preacher. This was a few months back. Maybe you remember. I'm not going to name his name and then. But I feel like this is where you get to this extreme belief of faith. There's this preacher and this kind of believes this. And I remember this one time where this was kind of made this funny like clips, these memes and stuff, and where he looked into the camera and he cursed COVID-19 away. Do you remember that one? I don't know if any of you remember that one. You can go look it up. But he was like, COVID-19. I blow, I blow the wind of God against you. It was weird, okay, I get it. It was strange. I curse you, you are dead for now and forevermore. Hey, listen, I appreciate that. I've been praying for God, please do something, bring relief. Unfortunately, we'd seen about another 150,000 people die since that prayer. What I'm saying is that faith is not a force where you can, here's what we have to remember. This is what I'm trying to show you. Faith might be the thing that Jesus said it will enable you to see and to do and be part of the impossible, but it will never violate a sovereign God. I can have faith and believe and still have a sovereign God who says, I'm not going to give that to you. But, but I, I, I believe I need this. Yeah, but can I just say this? Some of you ought to be really, really thankful that God has not answered every prayer you've ever prayed. Coming seriously. You think back, some of the prayers you prayed, you wouldn't be married to the person you're married to. You might not be, I mean, just think about it, okay? See, faith is not a force. And let me tell you what I believe, that, let me give you the other side here. But what, I, what is faith? I'll say this, faith is a confident trust. Write that one down. Faith is a confident trust. 
In other words, faith is me saying, God, I have all the confidence in the world. You're the same creator that spoke the world into existence. You're the same Jesus that got up from the grave. I believe in you and your power and that you can change. I have confidence and I trust in you. It's a confident trust. See, Jesus did so many different miracles because he ran into people that had confidence in him. They trusted in him. Jesus would say to people, hey, according to your faith, may it be done to you, and then he would heal them. There there are moments when Jesus did not do many miracles, like in his own hometown, because there was such a lack of faith. What is faith? It's a confident trust in God. God can change my situation. God can move the mountain in my life. God can. I believe that. Now, 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 listen, now listen. But here's what faith really is. Here's what confident trust is. Your confident trust always leaves room for God to choose no. That doesn't discredit my faith. Some would say, wait, that's a cop out. No, it's not. My faith, I'm so confident and I trust God that there are things that I'm asking for him to do in my life, but my trust says I have to leave room for God to choose not to do it because he's sovereign. I say, I'm not gonna manipulate the creator of the world who has purpose and plan and things that he wants to do in my life and other people's lives. But let me say it to you this way. Faith is not based on an outcome. See, the problem is we look at the story and we go, okay. Faith is not based on an outcome, but it's actually based on an outlook. In other words, it's not God, if you don't do this for me, because here's what most of us have, we've landed if you're a believer. When God doesn't answer our prayers, here's where we land. Either God's the problem or I'm the problem. God doesn't care. God's not real. God doesn't exist. Either God's the problem or I'm the problem. I didn't believe. See, I wrestled with that for so long because I thought to myself, well, I guess I just don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed in this time. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. See, I do believe. I believe. Maybe, maybe there's not just two options. Maybe in my confident trust, I'm going to submit to the sovereignty of God and say, God, if you choose no, then you've chosen no. You see, I think one of the greatest pictures of faith you can find in the entire Bible is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's these three Jewish young men who were taken captive to Babylon at one point, They were told, if you do not bow down and worship this idol that the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, set up, he said, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And what they said to that king as they were about to be thrown in the furnace, to me, is the best picture of faith you'll ever see. You know what they said? They said to him, they said to the king, they said, we know God can save us. We believe that he will save us. But even if he does not, we want you to know we will not bow down to this idol. Can I tell you, there's no better definition of faith than this. We know God can. Come on. Do you know that God can in your situation? I know God can. I know God can heal. I know God can provide. I know God can move mountains. I know God can. And I believe he will. I want to approach God in this season of prayer, full confidence. God, I believe you're going to answer this prayer. I know God can. I believe he will. But real faith says, but even if he does not, I trust. 
I trust. And it's hard because sometimes the most painful thing we'll experience in this life is a no. Sometimes. And sometimes God will use a no if you give it time to see that he has a different plan. I had someone come up to me this past week as we were talking about the subject and faith. And they said to me, they said, um, how do you know it's really God if you believe, but then it doesn't seem to work out? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, do you remember years ago when we had this contract on the front of our property? Now, if you haven't been around our church for a long time, you, you wouldn't know this maybe, but several years ago, 2016, as we were wanting to prepare to start building this facility, there, we had gotten into contact with uh, a large, large organization. In fact, it was the third largest grocery chain in the world, a company worth over $100 billion. And they wanted to build one of their locations. This was the idea right here in Canal Winchester. And so they, they liked our property. And so we started in negotiations. And guess what? I thought, this is the answer to all the prayers we've been praying. Financial provision, the amount of money that it was going to bring in, it was millions. I mean, it was like, it was, a, it was a God dream. I was like, this is God. This is only God. So we started a month and it goes by, a month and a half of negotiations with lawyers. And we finally, we're about to nail it all down. It's about to get submitted. They signed it, but it got to get submitted and signed off by the board. And as the board reviewed it, they came back and they said, we have a problem. They said, unless we have a sign on Gender Road at that light, they said, we're out. And I thought the deal was done because we don't own the property on that corner, the light. And so I remember the, my contact and the guy from this company, he said, well, let me call the city. So they called the city and they set up a meeting. And so I'd never forget this picture in my mind. I, I went to this meeting with the city and there's the city staff and they, there's like multiple like lawyers and suit. I mean, they're all dressed in these like really nice suits sitting around a conference table and, and I'm at the other end dressed like a pastor. I don't even know what that means, but I was like this, you know. I felt so out of place. And uh, they said, if we can't have a sign here, we're not coming to Canal Winchester. The city, look at this, the city wanted them. The city wanted them more than they wanted us. The city really wanted them. So then the city said, well, oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, what, what if we give you a sign on that property? We can give you, we're supposed to own that property. We'll give you a sign easement on the property there. Um, if you would just uh, agree to mow the grass in that lot. I looked over to the guy, he looked at me. I was like, I'll get a push mower out. I'll mow it myself. And they said, okay, we'll agree to that. Like four days later, it went before the board and they voted it down. Can I tell you about how disappointed I was? Can I just tell you about how my faith went from being all the way up here to being down here? Can I tell you in a moment where I was like, oh, this is God's answer to, this is a closed door? And I had the staff person ask me, yeah, what about that moment where you were sure it was God? I said, I don't know, except we weren't the only place that that company ended up pulling out of in all of Ohio, by the way. I said, I don't know why it didn't go through because I, I thought it was God. But all I can tell you is that I stand here today and guess what? 
we got a sign off a gender road that I don't think would have ever happened if it hadn't been for this company stepping in and getting us the sign. And so I can look back on a situation and say, oh, I see God. Oh, that no, I, I, I can see God. Now listen, it's not that easy in every situation. I know some of you pray desperately for a loved one and they did not survive. And I'll never stand here and tell you that, oh, that's just God's plan. Okay, it might be, but I know that it'll never feel good on this side of life. It never will. But I wonder what Jesus was trying to get them to get. As we wrestle with faith, there was something that I want to close with, and this will be the last thing, but I, there was this, this verse that I'm reading and I, I kind of got lost in. Matthew 17, 21, it was the last verse of this story. And I wanted to leave you with this verse because it was so impactful to me. It just really inspired me. Matthew 17, 21, put it up. It says, B. No, I'm not lying. That's what my Bible says. It just says B. I just have this B right there. If you don't have your Bible, you, you won't know this, but some of you are gonna go home and you're gonna get your Bible out. In some of the more modern translations, what you're gonna find is, it's like, it's like a letter, it's a footnote. How many of you never look at the footnote at the bottom of your Bible? Do you know there might be more in your footnote than you ever realized? There's just a B there. Some old translations, can I tell you why it is confusing? Because some of the manuscripts that they found, third century, fourth century, fifth century, some of the manuscripts didn't have anything. And then some other manuscripts had this statement in there. And so the modern translations, they want for a, a sense of transparency. They're like, we're not sure if it's supposed to be in there. So we're just going to put a footnote. Now, my footnote says this. Some manuscripts include here words similar to Mark 9, 29. I told you this story was in three gospel accounts. It's really important to get this. In Mark 9, 20, so all of a sudden people are flipping now. I gotta see Mark 9, 29. I gotta see Mark 9, 29. So why would it be in Mark 9, 29 and not in the others? Because you had three different writers giving three different perspectives of what happened. See, Luke's a doctor, so when he writes about it because someone told him, he just focuses on the miracle and then he's done. And then I look at Matthew, Matthew was one of the nine who was praying for the son and nothing happened. So in Matthew, what does he do? He focuses on what happened behind closed doors. What happened? What happened, Jesus? I don't understand. Why did I fail? What happened? What went wrong? Now Mark, Mark's account is actually from Peter. John Mark came from Peter. Peter was one who was on the mountain. He didn't fail with the rest of them. So when he comes down, he kind of just doesn't even mention about the whole moving a mountain thing because nobody moves mountains. But then he left in this one statement that Jesus said. And no scholars disagree that what is written in Mark 29 was intended to be in there. This was part of the story that was left in. In Mark 9, 29, Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by what? Everybody say it, by. Come on, say it out loud, by. This kind. Wait, wait, wait. Do you mean to tell me that there are some situations in my life that are gonna be so big that it might drive me 
to a sense of persistent prayer, Jesus would say yes. There are some mountains. I asked, do you have a mountain you need to move your life? There are some mountains in your life that what Jesus shows us is that he wants you to go to God with prayer, to wrestle with God in prayer, to just continually be on the door of prayer. I, I, wanna, I wanna have that same kind of endurance in prayer and persistence in prayer. Why are we doing three weeks? Because we need to learn that there are some mountains in our life that listen, it might not be because you don't have the faith. It might just be that you're gonna have to endure in prayer before you ever see a breakthrough in your life. Come on, stand up on your feet real quick. We're going to close. Stand on your feet. You know, you know, some of you are maybe asking this question. How do I know if I have enough faith? How do I know? I'm going to make it real simple for you. Are you asking? I'm going to simplify it. Because I can't measure faith. I don't know what you use, what tool. Mustard seed seems like a little bit, and I feel like I got that. How do I know if I have enough faith? Here's what I would say. Are you asking God? Are you going to God asking him to do the impossible? Are you? Because the moment you stop asking God is the moment you stopped having faith to believe that God could change your situation. So I ask you, are you asking God? Have you given up? I prayed for that once and nothing happened. I prayed for that in 2020 and nothing happened. Can I tell you, I've got things in my prayer journal that I wrote down years ago that I'm still praying for God to answer. And I haven't seen a no, so I'm going to continue to press into God. I don't want it ever to be said that I don't have because I didn't ask. See, God's word says in James chapter 4 that you have not because you ask not. Well, I pray today, maybe God wanted to, he wanted to give you an injection in your faith. I believe God, I believe God still does the impossible, guys. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably above and beyond all that I can ask or think according to his power that works within us. I'm just one who actually crazy believes that God still wants to do miracles, that God still wants to reach your wayward child, that God still will bring provision in a miraculous way, that God can still heal your body, that God can still change situations, that God can still heal you of mental health issues, that God can still do. Come on, is there anybody here today that says, I want to believe? I just realized I'm going to have a confident trust in God today. Come on, would you bow your heads? Let's close your eyes. I, I just believe God wants to do something in you right now. God, you're in this place. God, you're in this moment. Dare I even say there's somebody watching this online. This has been the cry of your heart for a long time. You have even gotten to the point where you almost stopped believing in God. But maybe right now, today, the Spirit of God is meeting you in this moment. That faith is starting to rise up inside of you. God, I just pray right now, faith would rise up. Listen, as we're in this moment of prayer, I just wonder if there's somebody watching this or you're in this room. And maybe for the first time ever, it's time to surrender your life to Jesus. That God is giving you a gift of faith. See, God's word says that it is by faith through grace that you are saved. This is not of yourselves, lest you should boast, but it's a gift from God. And some of you right now have faith is swelling inside of your heart. 
They're saying, I believe in God. Maybe there was a time when you walked with them, but you've drifted away. But right now, maybe with the clarity, this is God revealing himself to you, that it's time to come home to him. If that's you today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of faith with me right now. You're going to say this, God, with the faith that I have, it might be the size of a mustard seed, but I give it to you, and I trust in you, and I believe in you. And I put my faith in you. And I believe in you, Jesus, and that you died for my sin. And that God raised him from the dead. And that I can have the same eternal life. And so right now with the faith I have, I say, I'm yours. I'm yours, God.